You are listening to an SAFM podcast, 104 to 107 nationwide. Stream us live on www.safm.co.za or via the SABC Plus app. SABC News, independent and impartial. India is making some inroads yesterday, launching its first observation mission to the sun just days after the country made history by becoming the first to land near the moon's south pole. Now, Aditya L1 blasted off from the launch pad at Sahira Kota, and it will be located at a distance of about 1.5 million kilometers from the Earth, which is 1% of the Earth's sun distance. Now, India's space agency says it'll take about four months to travel the distance. Now, if Aditya L1 is successful, India will join the select group of countries that are already studying the sun. Now, the sun expedition comes just 12 days after India's Chandrayaan 3 landed on the moon's South Pole. And we were still quite mesmerized by that, where, you know, they've already confirmed that the presence of uh, several elements, including sulfur on the moon and uh, surface as, as it continues searching for suns of frozen water after its historic landing. Now, let's get more details on this. We're joined on the line by Professor Mike Koch, who's chief scientist at the South African National Space Agency. Let's just start first with the significance of this latest observation mission to the sun. Yes, um, India is incredible, has uh, uh, really um, made huge strides forward in the last decade. Um, Launching something as far away as to the L1 point is a major achievement. And of course, observing the sun is very important because it affects directly space weather which, direct, um, which directly affects our satellites and directly affects our technology, our electronics here on the ground. So it's a very important step mm. that India's taken for us. Wow, it sounds like no small feat. I'm wondering, though, how, how possible is it to send, uh, you know, a spaceship or, or, or even, you know, something closer to the sun? Is that a possibility? Yes, it is a possibility. And there is a mission right now that's actually going quite close to the sun, of course, your problem is uh, the tremendous heat that is being emitted by the sun. A lot of particles, a lot of radiation, a lot of heat. It's very difficult to survive when you fly close to the sun. And, um, uh, you know, uh, the technology required is, is very difficult to, to master. Mm, and, and I wonder then how are, they, how are they staying safe? So you have to watch kind of your distance, I think. Yeah, uh, you have to have a, um, a lot of um, uh, technology in place to deal with things like the enormous heat, the enormous radiation. Um, uh, the, the, the sun side of the satellite is very hot. The shadow side of the satellite is very cold, etc., etc. But it's obviously possible because a few missions have already been successful and have already done it. And, you know, a lot of people <laughs> sometimes often ask themselves, why these particular missions? I mean, I have a curious mind, um, and, and I always understand why this needs to happen. But other, but other people are saying, no, but why? Um, what kind of information are they hoping to get? Um, you know, how does this improve our scientific understanding and all of that? And I want us to unpack it for someone who's listening this morning, for example, who doesn't really understand the significance of this and, and what kind of information they will be able to study about the sun and be able to kind of help us? Yeah, well, one of the things that's a hot topic right now is space weather, um, and we're trying to forecast or trying to understand when solar storms happen, when you have solar flares, when you have coronal mass ejections, 
And these things have a huge impact on Earth and also on our technology, our spaceflight technology, our ground technology, anything that's electronic, you know, sat-nav, internet, that type of thing. Mm. So um, our ability to forecast or understand when solar storms occur is very, very low at the moment. It's about the same as it was for normal weather forecasting here on the ground 100 years ago. So we're trying to sort of catch up with our space weather forecasting compared to what our current weather forecasting is here on Earth. And to do that, we have to understand things about the sun. And because we don't live on the sun and it's very difficult to go to the sun, um, we're struggling to, to get the information and get the knowledge that we need to do this forecasting. And so these satellite missions that go to the sun or go part of the way to the sun are very important, and there just haven't been many. There have been less than 10 in human history. Mm. So um, we're struggling to catch up, but we're getting there. Uh, and, and certainly it sounds like we are, because if we're still seeing some activity, then it means things are moving on that front. And, and Prof, I'm very keen to find out, I mean, what information, for example, the Chandrayaan-3 has sent back to Earth from the moon so far? Ah. Well, the most important thing about the moon mission is not only that it was a very difficult mission because you were trying to land in the polar region, which is a difficult orbit to achieve. So the technical achievement was, of course, incredible. But um, the most single most important thing is whether they'll be able to find water on the moon in the form of ice and um, whether they'll find it in viable quantities. And uh, this is very important because um, if we can find water ice on the moon, then it means you can make rocket fuel if you land on the moon. And obviously water is very, very important for human survival. You can make oxygen, and then you can also make water to drink. So um, finding water ice in viable quantities, something that you can actually mine in a quantity that's useful, um, would mean that the moon could become a stepping stone for human flight to elsewhere, for example, to Mars. Mm. Much, much easier to go to Mars if you launch from the moon than it is when you launch from Earth. But um, first, we've got to find useful quantities of water ice. That's, I think, the first yeah. most important step. And quite interesting. And I, and, and I wonder if, if at all the South African National Space Agency had uh, any role in these two significant missions? At this time, no. Uh, unfortunately, um, but we are part of the BRICS consortium, and um, we are looking into doing some sort of joint satellite mission together with the other BRICS countries, you know, Brazil, Russia, India, China. And in future, of course, um, as we know from the recent BRICS summit, that there are other countries joining the mm. BRICS uh, uh, sort of consortium of countries. So um, those possibilities are there, and there have been discussions. There was a so-called IPSA satellite, which is India, Brazil, South Africa, that never came to fruition. Um, and we're working on a satellite mission right now. Hopefully that will come to fruition. We will see. And definitely, um, you know, exciting times ahead because if all these missions continue, it really gives us a sense and, as you say, a bit more information into some of what is going on. That is uh, Professor Mike Kosh, Chief Scientist at the South African National Space Agency. And you'd remember even Prime Minister Narendra Modi talking about the space consortium that the BRICS countries need to look into, and it's something that is quite important. Um, you know, you think about those solar storms that we just need to know a little bit more. About. You can find SAFM Current Affairs on 104 to 107 nationwide.
our podcasts are available for download on all our digital platforms. SAFM, leading the conversation.